I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. We are officially, I'm so excited, in spooky season. (laughs) Welcome back to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding. And this week, it's all about you and your paranormal experiences, questions and evidence. Now, let's start things off with this week's fact or fiction. Halloween is the fourth largest commercial holiday in America. Hmm, what do you think? Is it fact or fiction? Find out at the end of the programme. So, let's get decorating. Let's get the cobwebs up and the pumpkins out. It's officially October, yay! In this episode, we'll be hearing from you, your evidence, experiences and questions. And later in the show, we speak to Professor and author Ben Alderson Day about the science behind why we feel so scared in the dark. I think you'll find we both have differing opinions. But let's kick things off with Ingrid from the star-spangled streets of Hollywood as she shares her experience from childhood. Hi Yvette, this is Ingrid. Um, I am coming to you from sunny Los Angeles. Um, I hear that you are doing an episode on theatres in Hollywood and I'm actually sitting in Hollywood right now so how serendipitous Um, though my story actually takes place back home in Sydney Australia Um, it's the theatre that I uh, went to for my drama school Um, we had this old very very old historic theatre that was part of the school And I'd always heard that there were rumours, that there was a ghost, you know, people's books being thrown around or whispers in the hallway or lights being flickered on and off, just things like that, you know, the usual, the usual. Um, But what I experienced was quite different. So what happened was I was there with my classmates. We were all there in a class. We were... um, about to, we're getting ready for rehearsal, so we're doing warm-ups. We were doing a spinal roll, which is basically when you stand and then you put your head down to your toes and you just simply roll back up to standing. Um, and as I rolled back up to standing, I, was, I looked and in the, the doorway to the wings, I saw a cloaked man, just like a black cloak, 
uh, cloaked man walking, ac- walking across, uh, you know, the wing. And I was shocked, of course, because no one should have been in there b- besides us. And also the door slammed shut. And then, and then it was a the door slammed shut and then another door slammed shut and then another door slammed shut. So three doors that just went bang, bang, bang. And these three doors, they are held open by these magnets, these electrical magnets. And the only way that they could have like been been able to close was if there had been an electrical fault, like if the electricity had gone out or if you pull them, pull them. And you really, really got to pull them um, hard. It's not easy to just like, you can't just walk past and push them, you know, is what I'm saying. And so there's no way these doors could have, like this person could have just closed these doors. So when these bangs happened, everyone looked around and said, well, what was that? That's strange. And I said, it's not, I saw a person, there was a person there. And no one believed me that no one else, everyone else was sort of standing with their back towards the wing. And then suddenly someone else said, actually, I saw it too. It was a hooded man just walking past and everyone was like no you did not see that and then a third person she piped up and she said I saw it too it's exactly what I saw was a hooded man so we all nervous and we all raced back because there shouldn't be anyone back there and we went to look to see if we could find a man walking around our dressing rooms where all our stuff was and there was no one and the, that's like a, a dead end at the back there. So there's no way he could have gotten out. And there was just no one. It was the strangest thing. And I know that they say that um, ghosts can uh, interfere with electricity and, you know, electromagnetic fields. And I wonder if this is a really good example of that. Uh, so what do you think? Um, anyway, have a lovely day. Oh, and before I go... Um, Yes, he was solid, solid like like you and me. Just a hooded, cloaked, whatever you want to call it, man walking through. And the interesting thing is the theater was also backed onto a, a, a church, which was still in, uh, in use. So I wonder if it's a ghost that has some sort of connection to both the theater and the church. Anyway, toodles. Hi Ingrid, so lovely to hear from you. Thank you, thank you for getting in touch and leaving your voice note. I love it when more than one person sees the same thing. And scientists have tried to debunk ghosts for hundreds of years. But I'll tell you this, they don't have an answer for when a group of people see a ghost at the same time and they all describe exactly the same thing. That for me is a very polite fingers up to scientists and I absolutely love it. It'd be great if you could go back and find out more. Go on, do it for me, Ingrid. Do it for us. Do it for us. Who is the ghost in the black cloak? That's what we want to know. I am completely fascinated. So we wait with bated breath, Ingrid. Get back in touch. Now, this could be one of the creepiest pieces of evidence that you have sent in. This comes from Alex on WhatsApp and he says, Hi, event team. I would like to share with you a picture I captured a couple of days ago at Bon Morris Jail in Anglesey. Know it very well, investigated there. Just for some context, the two images uh, that that he sent to me uh, were taken just seconds apart uh, on my mobile phone 
automatic flash, so relatively low shutter speed. It was 8.30 uh, in the evening during a walk around um, and it was before any of the guests arrived. Uh, he says, where I wholeheartedly cannot 100% rule out a guest, and he puts in brackets, still a bit of a skeptic at heart, close brackets. Uh, he says, I know beyond doubt it was not a team member. On editing the image on the computer, there are too many anomalies to be for it to be a human uh, being. Anyway, please let me know what you think. We're all quite excited about it with a couple of exclamation marks. Uh, lots of love to you all, Alex Shankland. Um, now, of course, this being a podcast, you can't see these images, but do not fear, my lovely. Um, we're going to post them on our socials so you can have a little look. And I urge you to do that um, because these pictures, these two pictures, they're so good. And when I saw them, I was like, oh, let me, oh, wow, that's fantastic. So you look, you're looking down um, a long corridor, there's white walls, and in the middle of the corridor, um, it's a prison, remember? So in the middle of the corridor is an arched gateway, um, uh, like prison celly type thing. And then there's a door um, in the middle, and that is open. And so you've got a full view right to the end of the corridor. And to the right of that, what looks like to be walking in a cell is the dark shadow of what I think could possibly be, looks like a, I'm not quite sure whether it's a woman or a man, but I would say woman. Again, not sure, but you can definitely see this black uh, figure there. Um, and if you look very closely, um, I don't know, you can see one leg is solid and the other leg slightly translucent. And then the best thing is he shows the picture taken a second later, nothing there. Absolutely nothing there. And I'm assuming that when Alex took this, he says there was nobody else there. It's just too bizarre for it to be a human. Uh, so I think that's a wonderful photograph. Uh, and I think it's fabulous, Alex. I absolutely love it. And I believe that you caught a ghost on camera. No doubt about it. Congratulations. Let's have a fanfare, please, producers. Yes. And let me tell you, Alex, send it to the press. The press absolutely love this sort of stuff, especially the star. They're really into it and the mirror as well. They will love it. Trust me. Enjoy it. You've captured something fabulous there. Now let's hear a lovely message from what might be our youngest listener. Hi, Yvette and Molly. Not a story necessarily, um, but just to let you know that myself and my six-year-old son, Ruben, are huge fans of um, your podcast and um, my son is also an avid watcher of Most Haunted and um, I actually start watching it now and uh, yeah he'd like to he'd like to conduct a ghost on at some point anything to say Ruben? Uh, we've, we saw something moving <laughs> anyway love the podcast uh, keep up the good work hello Ruben I think you'll make an amazing ghost hunter. I can hear it in your voice. One day, I think you could take over from Carl or Stuart. What do you think? And Reuben, if you capture anything spooky, anything paranormal, send it to me and you can be my assistant on this podcast. What do you think? I can see you nodding. Uh, I'm sending you lots of love, big hugs and a big kiss. Mwah. 
We also had a video capturing some strange evidence on WhatsApp from an unknown listener. And you can find this also on our socials as well. But they write, big fan of the podcast. I'd be really interested in your opinions on this vid. After a long list of events in our work building, we set up this motion-operated camera. And it took this video in the middle of the night when we were closed. It's divided opinion. To some, it looks like a shadow stands up at the end of the footage. Now, this footage to me, I think, is is really interesting. But again, because I don't know the property, I don't know if there was a window behind uh, where the camera was. Was there a security guard walking outside? I don't know. But if there wasn't, and you know the building really well, um, it's interesting because you can definitely see a shadow getting up. Fascinating. Love this type of stuff, but I can't watch it before I go to sleep. <laughs> and I would urge you, urge you probably not to either. And now we've got a message on our WhatsApp from our listener, Mackenzie. They write, in response to Yvette's Instagram posts regarding phantom phone calls or knocking on the door, until I saw your post, I hadn't actually thought about it before. But three years ago, my dad died from COVID. He was one of the earlier victims when we first hit lockdown. It was awful and what happened still bothers me to this day. And through all the trauma, I just wanted to talk to him or know that he was okay because the way he went was not peaceful or okay. I often wondered if he would still love me or still be happy or proud of me when I assumed he would be watching and know now of any of my poor life choices or secrets. I say poor, they weren't bad, just things I knew he wouldn't approve of. When I got his phone, I started using it as mine um, because mine had died and his was fairly new. Anyway, basically, when I was looking for things online, whether it's a motorbike, cars or something to help fix the house, DIY or anything else handy, I would think out loud, Dad, what do I do here? Then I think about what he might have told me when I was younger or what he might say. I would then start to type into my phone what I'm looking for. So as an example, I might put, where can I find cheap 125 motorbike? Question mark. The thing is, I may never have looked up something like that before. So my algorithm doesn't know yet, like a lot of things in Google, it would show up in the search bar before I had even typed it in my phone. And I used to think, bloody hell, how does it know what I'm looking for? I haven't even typed the first letter yet. Before today, I just put it down to fluke, law of attraction or some other weird technology that just knows what you want. But now you've posted your question. Uh, It has started to make me think. It's not a phantom call or a knock on the door, but it's my dad's phone finding things for me without hardly any input from me. Whether it's searching something medical or anything that's important to me, it just really already knows what I need. I suppose it could possibly be technology technology, but at the same time, maybe dad's still helping his little big girl through life via typing and searching online. I find that quite comforting and just wanted to share best wishes from Mackenzie Crompton from Shadows of York. Do you know, we have no idea, do we really, how the other side use energy to contact us, but I really believe uh, electricity, energy pulsating from machines and our own bodies They pump out electricity and energy and all of this helps the spirits to manifest either themselves or objects to move or to make computers leave messages. And that includes phones. And as you know, um, I believe anything is possible. And I believe that your dad was helping you, Mackenzie. I really do. 
Hello, my name is Mark Thompson, your guide aboard the Constellation Station podcast. Tune in every Monday for your weekly guide to all things going on in the skies above the UK that week. From meteor showers to comets and eclipses to supernova explosions, I will have it all. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from. But until then, let's hope for some clear skies. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Have you ever felt a presence in a room? Why is this? And where does this feeling come from? Well, let's hear now from Ben Alderson Day, Associate Professor of Psychology at Durham University, as we explore this phenomenon. Ben Alderson Day is an Associate Professor of Psychology at Durham University, and he's a specialist in atypical cognition and mental health, and is author of a brand new book uh, called Presence, exploring the feeling that someone or something is there when they are alone. Now, I'm intrigued. Welcome, Ben, to Paranormal Activity. This is fascinating to me. 
Thanks very much, Yvette. Thank you for having me on. So why, in your experience, do um, presences emerge? Why do, they, why do you suddenly go, oh, I feel like there's something in the room with me? Well, I think uh, one clue for why this sort of thing happens comes from the body. A lot of times when people talk about this experience, they're describing something which is almost like a gut feeling, something they uh, feel or know in their bones. What that provides us with is a clue as to how our body gives us a sense that something's uncanny, something's wrong about our environment, something's awry in the way our minds would usually experience the world. And what it's given us is a clue about how uh, we perceive our own bodies in space. And that's the basis of one of the main theories for why we might feel a presence in the room. I remember watching, I've forgotten, obviously you being a professor, you might know what I'm about to say. Um, well, it was, it was somebody kept feeling a presence. I think they were in a kitchen somewhere and there was an overhead fan. Does this bring back any memory? And the fan was, was uh, you know, going at full speed. And they worked out that the speed of the fan was affecting the way the atmosphere was in that particular room and gave that person a feeling of uneasiness as if something was watching him. Does that make sense to you? Does that sort of add up with your theory? Yeah. I mean, so I don't know of that particular example, but um, I think whenever we, uh, I've heard of similar ones and whenever we think about things like presences, people describing this sort of experience. We've got to think what's going on around the person and what's going on inside of them. And we can get a feeling of things being not quite right or uncanny um, equally from both of those sides. Um, so I think probably quite a few of the people that you tend to talk to about and the situations that you explore are about space and place and the way we feel in particular environments and how some of them can really drive that sense of unease. Sometimes, though, we'll actually be coming from the person inside as well. It might be something about um, their own experiences in the past. It might be something, indeed, about their mental health as well, which is giving them that feeling of the uncanny too. Um, and if if you ha- start to have that feeling of something's not quite right, that uh, the usual kind of your usual sensations of the world are kind of slightly off, then one of the things we naturally do is we start to feel that someone else must be there. Um, so it's I tend to think of it as like a kind of seesaw between inside and outside. And probably most of my work is focused more on the inside than the outside, but that doesn't necessarily mean that both aren't important in understanding why people might experience this. So in situations like <clears throat> myself, when I'm investigating a haunted house, uh, let's say, and I instantly, the temperature drops and I instantly feel very, very uncomfortable. Um, and I'm a very logical person. So I always look for the logic, logical side of things. I'm not jumping to the conclusion that it's paranormal. You know, why is it suddenly gone cold? Is there a draft? Is there a window open? Is there a vent that, that I didn't know uh, about? And so on and so on. So you check all these things out. But that feeling of unease, the, the hairs that go up on the back of your neck, you know, the hairs on your arms all suddenly go up and you think something's not right here. Now, in a lot of cases that I've experienced, I will feel that sense and a lot of investigators will will know what I'm talking about. And then something happens. It might be poltergeist activity. It might be a full manifestation of a ghost or nothing happens at all. So I, do you think that um, it's possible for both of these things to happen? That 
some people will be not imagining it because you talk about, you know, it's inside the body, your mental health, your mental well-being and what's going on in your mind. So can both things happen in your brain or are you took completely and utterly? No, it's not paranormal. It's something going on inside your human body. If I'm going to be honest, I often duck the question of what's happening truly on the outside. And in part, I do that not because I think, oh, that's difficult and I don't want to get into it. But I, um, I find that sometimes when people are having unusual experiences and they come across a psychologist, they immediately assume that we're here to be skeptical or to mm, debunk them. Of course, them. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you, you never quite get past that first base in a way of um, trying to explore what kind of experiences they might have. My, my own work, my own research, has has been really kind of I guess some of it has been in the realm of mental health and some of it has been more on the boundaries of that thinking about well what would it be to have really unusual experiences from an early stage of your life and instead of responding to them with say fear or confusion you actually incorporate them in your in your worldview so encounters with ghosts with spirits perhaps feelings of kind of mediumship they just become something that's part of your biography. I'm quite interested in those people, really. You know, people who have a have a career in in, in the unusual, um, without needing you know mental health support or anything like that. And if basically, if I get in the room with them and I'm not immediately saying, "Look, I don't think all these things can exist," and I think really you're making a mistake if you report experiencing them then um, they'd never talk to me and I'd never learn their stories. Um, I'm interested in kind of what would it be to have some of these experiences and what kind of person would it, would it make you, if that makes sense. So um, it's, uh, it's, I've, I've slightly sidestepped it there, but, uh, but it's an honest <laughs> answer for why, like, you know, why and how I work, actually. Um, I think we miss a lot of you know, um, really profound um, and interesting experiences by falling into kind of almost like old debates or, or kind of confrontational situations. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not here to sort of, I, I, I just find it absolutely fascinating listening to other people's theories and what they think. I, I really do. And I think it's very valuable to listen to what a lot of people have got to say, especially people like yourselves. You know, you've done all these studies, you've talked to people, you've visited, you know, you, you've written God knows how many reams of, I say paper, it's all on computer now, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you've studied and studied and studied and done all this. So you know your stuff. But for me, I just um, find it absolutely fascinating because the two, what what you're talking about and what I'm talking about, they marry. So Mm. you often find and you hear stories of people talking about sleep paralysis, for instance. You know, there's when I first started investigating the paranormal, there's the the classic corner of the eye phenomena where we're like, oh my God, we're in a dark room and all of a sudden I'm seeing dark shadows. There must be ghosts. Oh my goodness. No, there's a logical scientific explanation for that. And the human body reacts in a certain way. The eye reacts in a certain day, uh, in a certain way when, you know, light goes to dark and so on. So I love hearing these different uh, ways and, and the way that the brain works. I suffered terribly from very, very bad um, sleep paralysis and, 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 and night terrors. Um, and it was only when a scientist explained to me what was going on in the brain that I just went, oh my God, I'm not seeing evil demonic creatures in my bedroom that I'm hurling pillows at and screaming and scaring my family half to death. It's actually a logical scientific explanation for it. And you know, I've had such a wonderful, I haven't had a terrible night's sleep since it's been explained to me. Mm. So there's all these wonderful uh, theories that can help us not to be so frightened and, and, and so, and so scared. But then there's also the other side that science 
can't explain. And that's the bit that intrigues me, you see. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. And I think sleep paralysis is a great example because there um, I've known people personally and other people I've met through research who they can have these really bewildering encounters over a number of years um, and deeply unsettling too. I mean, I always say uh, among the presences, the sleep paralysis ones are the worst, you know, the most consistently mm-hmm. malevolent and evil and sometimes very feeling like they're coming from somewhere very primal um, that we find hard to understand. But, but yeah, once people know that it's a thing, it happens very consistently. It happens to, you know, uh, uh, what is it? It's around about kind of one in seven adults will have it in their lifetime sleep paralysis. And over half of those will have the presence with that in the experience. So it's quite a high percentage of the population. Um, and so yeah, it definitely helps people to know kind of what's the story there and why, mm. uh, you know, why and how might it occur in that interaction between kind of brain and sleep and, and space. Um, I think going back to your previous question and thinking about those things that science really struggles to explain, I would certainly say that some people are more susceptible to having these experiences than others. And I, and I don't mean that in the sense of um, it's all in the mind and they're just at risk of imagining things. I think it's more that all of us are on a continuum where our brains are looking for patterns, looking to detect changes in our environment, drawing upon our histories, our memories, and our kind of cultural influences. So that some people, when they go into particular rooms, they're right there, they're tuned in straight away. And they're probably the ones who are always going to be likely to be the first to detect an unusual atmosphere. Um, like yourself, for example, I imagine you can go into a space, but somebody else might go into that space and not quite have the same experience. Now, in mm. other contexts, sometimes people talk about that as a um, as a form of a kind of gift or a second sight or something like that. As, as somebody working in psychology and cognitive neuroscience, I tend to think about it in terms of what would it be for your perceptions to just be dialed up slightly so that you're you're really good at kind of say filling in the gaps, detecting those changes in a, in a room. So suddenly you take into account that the temperature has changed or there's a certain smell. You know, some people, their perceptions just won't pick on that at all. Um, so it's a bit like we're all working with a kind of different set of skills that's interacting with certain unusual environments. Now, that leaves open the question at the other end of kind of what is actually happening to cause that change. But I do believe that it's about that interaction between the person and the space. It's fascinating, isn't it? I could talk to you all day. I remember, I, I know I've spoke about this before on the show, but I remember I was out on my own, just, just walking through the high street, going to the odd shop. And I walked past this woman and I'd never seen her before in my life. And this absolute dread came over me. I was, it was awful. It was like there was something wrong with this woman. I, I actually crossed the road to get away from her. I, I just, I couldn't bear to be anywhere near her. I then went into WH Smith five minutes later and there she was. I, I put the book back and walked straight out. Now, what on earth was that about? But it was, I was so fearful of her. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't understand, still to this day, don't understand what it was. I can walk into a room in a haunted location and this instantly, I, I will feel, I want to be sick. Mm-hmm. And I know something negative is, is, is in that room and something then will, will, will happen 
to the to the team or whatever. And I'm not. I think we all have the capability to be call it what you will, psychic or just I don't know your uh, uh, your <laughs> electrons or whatever they are are firing a little bit harder than perhaps some other people who don't like you just said that aren't picking up on certain things. I don't know, but I just find it absolutely fascinating. So what is causing that? Is it spiritual or is it, I don't know, pistons fire, firing <laughs> a lot quicker in the brain or, you know, in the conscious mind? What's happening? Well, I, I think I think one thing that might be happening is um, to some degree, we've lost the language to talk about some of these experiences and understand them. You know, perhaps in the past, people would have understood them within particular spiritual frameworks. Um but but now, and particularly with you say an uneasiness about talking about unusual experiences or the paranormal, this just becomes a thing that um, people will really struggle to put into words. And when we think about how we talk about the senses and perception, we're very used to talking about the five senses. And then if we talk think about kind of more than the five senses, we start to talk about a sixth sense or something like ESP. But if you talk to any scientists of the senses, they'll say. There are way more ways in which we can experience the senses than the, the standard five. So um, one, for example, is proprioception. If you shut your eyes now, Yvette, and hold out your hand in front of you, you're getting, signals, you're getting signals from your fingers, from your hand, from your outstretched arm, telling you where your muscles are in space. You've actually got a kind of map of where your body is without you needing to draw upon um, uh, your eyes. And, and essentially, proprioception is a, is a fundamental sense, but we, we don't really kind of talk about it that much at all, but it's integral to knowing where we are in space. And we know that neuroscientifically, we can disrupt that sense where there are certain parts of the brain that we can stimulate electrically, um, and they can induce the feeling of a sudden shadow figure who's mirroring your own body movements. There was a very famous case study in 2006 led by Shaharazi and colleagues where a lady who was due for epilepsy surgery, they, uh, what you tend to do prior to epilepsy surgery is um, you need to um, probe parts of the cortex by opening the skull, probe parts of the cortex to check that you're not going to damage anything with the surgery that will be a real fundamental function. Um, and for over 50 years, what people have done sometimes is they've said to the person, look, before we go in and we do the surgery and we've done the essential probing, can we do some other exploratory things for research purposes? And people often say yes. And it's one of the like most direct ways that we can study how parts of the brain work. Um, it's pioneered by a man called Wilder Penfield, who wrote some fantastic books on neurology in the mid-20th century. But Arzi and colleagues stimulated an area called the left temporoparietal junction in this woman in 2006. And it produced this sudden feeling of the shadow figure. It felt kind of quite unsettling for her, particularly the way it mirrored her movements and her posture. But she really felt that this presence was there. And the interesting thing about that area is the junction and intersection essentially of, of three lobes of the brain, occipital, parietal, and temporal. And what it's drawing together is a range of different sensory information to give us a sense of where our bodies are in space. So you disrupt that sense, you disrupt that map, and suddenly a body is somewhere else in space, a oh, shadow I body. Get that. Yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. Uh, what, 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 what does your uh, research and um, um, what are your thoughts on the fact that if a group of people, and this is, for instance, the Theatre Royal Drury Lane, a whole group of people, I know this is slightly different because it's not really feeling of a presence, it's actually seeing something. Mm -hmm. So a whole group of people at the same time saw a ghostly shape. So in going back to this theory of what you just talked about with the way that they were testing, 
how come that groups of people will experience a feeling of dread and then see something all at the same time? <laughs> is, is there an explanation for that? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know, um, and apologies if I've, if I've missed the previous episode, but have you talked much about predictive coding or predictive processing on this podcast no. before? Sounds fascinating. So this <laughs> is it. <laughs> we'll drag you back, kicking and screaming. Oh. Yeah, no problem. Um, so it, this is really the big theory of the brain that's coming through right now. It's very, very popular. And what predictive processing says is that instead of our minds essentially taking in information from the world outside and recognizing the simple parts of it first, like color and shape, and then recognizing more complex things later, like faces, voices, situations, mapping it onto memories, that sort of thing. Instead of going from simple to complex, going from bottom to top, it saves a lot of time if we just rely on our expectations and our predictions. So, um, I know at the start of this podcast that I'm supposed to be talking to Yvette, okay? And I know that you sound like Yvette and I recognize your voice. And I haven't really been paying that much attention to your voice. And imagine that somebody was gradually changing the dial so that your voice would morph into um, someone else's, whoever that might be. Um, and I would struggle to notice that change as a certain kind of change blindness. And one of the reasons that I would struggle to notice it is I had a strong prediction that this is your voice and there's no reason for it to change. So predictive processing, what it says is, look, our brains don't just passively take this information in. Most of the time, they're projecting or generating ideas of what's there in the world around them. Because most of the time, our expectations kind of work. They're kind of good a lot of the time, provided we can be paying attention. And then all you have to do is update your expectation if you start to get essentially too much error signal. If you start to get a sense that, no, this isn't quite right, what you're expecting to see there isn't quite the same. Now, this theory has been applied to lots of different aspects of perception and cognition. But what it does is it blurs the line between what we believe and what we expect and what other people tell us is the case and what we see. It really is believing is seeing, not seeing is believing. Um, and oh. it means that all of us, <laughs> all of us are actually experiencing something that's one step away from reality. Anil Seth, a neuroscientist at Sussex, has coined it as um, the sense that reality is just the hallucinations that we agree upon. Uh, it's a slight paraphrase of what he says, but it's, um, but it's essentially saying we're all creating our own reality and we just need to make sure it matches up enough. So going back to your example, people seeing the same unusual thing in the same situation, under this theory, predictive processing, it's perfectly possible that faced with an ambiguous situation, a group can reinforce themselves in seeing the same unusual thing, even if it wasn't quite the case that the same thing was out there in the world. Um, all it relies upon is having the right kind of expectation, the right kind of conditions, the right kind of group associations. If these were people who knew each other, if these were people who had the same kind of cultural expectations, they're very likely to see the same thing because it's those expectations which are driving well, well, what's done. Yeah, I get that. But, I mean, I've been with a group of people, two or three, and mm -hmm. we were talking about, I don't know, I can't remember what we were talking about, something, nothing to do with the location we were at. We were going to the loo. <laughs> and we saw... All three of us saw a pair of legs, ghostly legs, walking up the stairs with nobody attached to them. The three of us said nothing. We turned and ran because we, we couldn't understand what we were seeing. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. I, I, I understand what 
the you know um, science is saying, but I know that the three of us were not expecting to see a pair of legs mm. moving and walking on their own up the stairs. And I know that so many other people have had the weirdest experiences, not just on their own, but with other people. And it's the last thing they're expecting to see. Or You see, that's the bit that gets me. And I do, but seeing is believing. You, you, you know, it really is until you've seen something that you cannot explain. And, and it's much better when there's more than two of you and you are you are just going about your business you're not talking about ghosts you're not talking about presences there's no expectation whatsoever and then bang there it is you're both or three of you are seeing exactly the same thing at the same time and i can't and i just can't i can't imagine that the brain would be able to uh, project that image or make us think we've all seen that same thing. I can't get my head around that, but it doesn't mean to say I'm right. It just means at the moment, you know, seeing is believing. I need proof from science to tell me that that's what you saw. That's the explanation. Absolutely. And I think certainly even with this new theory, there'd be some way to go to explain yeah. some of the more stark examples. But I think, um, I guess the reason I bring it up here is that actually in a way, uh, the, the the wider theories of the brain have moved towards situations where um, all of us could have quite distinct and unusual senses of reality. Um, and um, they're almost like kind of the old ways of either you've seen it accurately or is it, it's a mistake uh, have gone uh, or they're, they're on the way out to some degree. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I think there's the thing with with this theory with predictive processing it's not all about kind of just saying oh well people are expecting to see this stuff and so it happens it's a theory that is really good at integrating integrating things like gut feelings what people would call interoception so that your your kind of perception internally of your body things like heartbeat and kind of changes to how anxious you're feeling um, all those things going back to what we talked about at the start of that kind of um, feeling in your bones that something's wrong what predictive processing says is that all of that feeds into our experience of the world around us, this kind of generated world and how we how we encounter it. So that's another reason why um, people are really kind of appreciating the shift in how we start to try and explain things. But, um, I, I mean, you know, the, the confounding examples of, of groups experiencing the same thing do come up again and again, and there are ultimately some things which are incredibly hard to explain um in my in my book um i spent quite a lot of time talking about shackleton's experience of a companion when he was crossing south georgia island at the end of the endurance expedition in 1916 and that's known um kind of uh, colloquially as the third man effect because um he was with a group of companions and they all experienced the same um, com um extra person with them there was actually three men already and it was a fourth companion but it kind of went through a bit of a hall of mirrors, the legend, and uh, T.S. Eliot referred to it as the third man rather than the fourth. And uh, so, But it's known by mountaineers and climbers and adventurers yes. throughout the 20th century as the third man um, because of yes, that. Yes, I've... I've I've heard of that, and I'm a massive fan of Shackleton as well. I, I did an investigation, um, and we were doing a séance on the boat. You know, um, is it the Endeavour? I can't remember what the, the name of the boat was. Endurance. There you go. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> we're on the Endurance doing this uh, 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 séance and, and so on, and we were having objects falling from the ceiling down onto the old dice, old coins, all sorts of things, and then the sound man yelped out loud, "What the heck?" And something had really hit 
him in the back wow. and an object and we looked down and we found it and it was a it was a, a circular wooden looked like some sort of we couldn't work out what it was and it had three holes drilled into the center of it and it had like um running around the edge was almost like where a rope would go so it was obviously something to do with the ship hmm. anyway it was a couple of weeks later I was at Dartford Library and um, as I was waiting to do my pieces to camera suddenly a, a book sort of uh, got my attention and it was Shackleton and I pulled it out and found a picture of Shackleton and there's the cog and he's got it on a, on his belt um, with some, you know, and he's tied it on with some belt, and it's 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 the it's this th- piece of wood that was thrown, and we took it to the curator, and he said, "I don't, we haven't got this on the boat." He said, "I don't know where this has come from," and that was intriguing to me. So, mm. sorry, that I digress. That's my little story of Shackleton. And just moving on, what about things like ayahuasca? You know, mm. that the, 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 that sort of drug. You know, I know, you know, these drugs are illegal, and I would never, I, I would be too scared to do anything like this but lsd and you hear about all these mind-altering drugs and how in some cases these mind-altering drugs are actually have been working for a lot of people that have been suffering with with mental health haven't they but i'm just thinking about ayahuasca would you ever take it um i probably wouldn't take it because i'm a coward uh, and I've never taken. <laughs> Same as me. Apparently, it makes you poo and poo and vomit and everything. It I'm like, does. no thanks. It, it's a purgative. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've uh, no, I've never taken anything like that. Um, and I think I just enjoy beer too much. Um, but um, <laughs> my, colleagues of mine, on I was part of a project at Durham University called Hearing the Voice, which ran for ten years and was all about um, drawing upon lots of different disciplines and perspectives to understand unusual experiences in general and kind of hearing voices in particular. And uh, one member of our team, a chap called David Dupuy, who's a French guy who'd done his PhD in the Peruvian Amazon, studying um, a sh- uh, basically ayahuasca retreats led by shamans and how um, a number of Western tourists would go there, often for, for reasons of mental health, to take ayahuasca repeatedly and try and have these kind of transformative experiences, which would also benefit them. And the thing that always struck me talking to David, to David was... Um, I would say, okay, so you know, how long did it take you to to see something when you were taking it? And you'd be like, oh, uh, I mean, I don't think I t- saw anything for like the first fourteen or fifteen times. Before that, it was just oh, lots no. of going to the toilet <laughs> and vomiting and all that. And I was like, oh. wow. I mean, you'd have to be you'd have to be really persistent. You really have to want it um, to uh, to keep going through all of that. And it and the the other side of it as well is that every time after you take it you come back to this circle of, of people who are taking it and you listen to the shaman and, and the leaders of the group and they help you kind of navigate what experiences you had and identify what might be, say, the, the spirit of ayahuasca. So it's very much this kind of social process. It's kind of constructed and leading you through a certain path. It's not this kind of flicker switch and you're suddenly going to have an amazing and transformative experience. It's much more again that kind of mingling of the inside and the outside the social and the individual some bits of expectation and some bits which are truly kind of very hard to explain and hard to get your head around but people do find it amazing to take as i understand well i could talk to you like i say for ages will you come back because i want to talk to you about things like near-death experiences and people that have you know they see themselves from above and you know i'd love to hear your take on that and how how the mind works you know in your in you know your theory of of how that can happen because Mm -hmm. i always think it's so good to get so many different sides and it's really fascinating and ben 
uh, Alderson Day. He's got a brand new book out. It's called Presents. I, for one, can't wait to read it. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being such an insightful guest and so lovely. Well, thank you for having me. Now, let's get the answer to this week's fact or fiction. So, do you remember what it was? Well, I shall remind you. Halloween is the fourth largest commercial holiday in America. So, what do you think? (laughs) I got it wrong. I was like, oh, 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 it's definitely fact. No, it's fiction. In America, Halloween is actually the second largest, second largest commercial holiday in the country, right behind Christmas. According to the National Retail Federation, American consumers spent approximately $9 billion on Halloween in 2019. That's insane. Oh, my goodness me. Oh, wow. Mind you, when I was in America, when we were filming Most Wanted over there, it was Halloween time. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. It, honestly, every single house is just plastered with everything to do with Halloween. They really, really go for it. And I hope we sort of, we're getting there, aren't we? We're getting a bit more into it. I think we've just got to celebrate anything and everything at the moment. Do you have a question, experience or some evidence to share? If you do, get in touch with us and share your stories with me. You know, I love it. Uh, Here's the address. It's contact at paranormalpod.co.uk. We are on WhatsApp and I love to hear your beautiful voice. It's 0759992757. Go on, you know you want to leave me a message. Uh, And we are on social media, Instagram, and our handle is at Paranormal Activity Pod. And you can stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow. And we'll be back again same time next week. But if you can't wait until then, visit this address. It's www.paranormalpod.co.uk where you can find options to get episodes a day early. Have a great week. Stay safe. And remember, things aren't always as they seem. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs> 